For those who wish to, please unmute yourselves and join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. If you unmuted yourselves, please remember to remute. Whatever problem you have with food, you are welcome here. Please observe the following notes on Zoom etiquette. Please treat this room as you would any in-person meeting. Please dress appropriately, avoid cooking, eating, or anything else, <laughs> remembering that we can see you, we can see everything that you do, so please turn your video off if you walk away. Please keep yourself muted unless you are speaking. If you have logged in via the Zoom web or mobile app, the mute icon is on the lower is on the left lower corner of the Zoom screen. If you dialed in via telephone, please use star six on your handset to mute and unmute your line. The chat feature has been disabled during the meeting to limit crosstalk. You have the ability to chat directly to the host if needed. The chat feature will be enabled at the conclusion of our meeting so that members can share phone numbers and other information. The following is the OA preamble. Overeats Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. This morning, I have asked Morgan to read the 12 steps of Overeats Anonymous. Morgan, if you could unmute yourself and start reading. Thank you. Morgan, are you here? Myself. Oh, there we go. Uh, sorry, it wasn't letting me unmute. Morgan, um, compulsive overeater. And then I've lost my thing. Okay. Um, the 12 steps I'm Morgan. Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a, as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Morgan. The following speakers represent recovery from the different manifestations of this disease, including compulsive overeating, 
binging, restricting, and more. Each speaker today will share what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now for up to 20 minutes each. I will give each speaker a five-minute warning when it's time to wrap up. Please welcome to our virtual stage, our first speaker this morning, Melanie M. Hi everyone, um, so great to be here. I'm Melanie, I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor slash underreader, whatever your favorite term for that is. Um, Rashad, thank you so much for asking me to, to be here. It is really an honor and I'm just, um, Gosh, I feel in such good company with people all over the world, and that's a gift of this time that we're living in. I know for a fact we wouldn't all get to be on meetings together at the same time without virtual meetings. Um, so I want to, if you see me looking down, it's probably only me referencing my own clock, so I don't spend too much time on what it was like. I definitely want to get to what happened and what it's like now. Um, and also, if you hear some yell, I have four children, and my two boys are really riled up this morning. So if you hear some shouts, I've told my husband, please take them outside. Please take them outside. And I have to practice uh, you surrender and I can't control other people. Um, but I've been in, in the rooms for um, almost 25 years. Um, I have 23 years, 11 months, and three days of abstinence um, today. And that is um, abstinence from binging abstinence from starving myself for days on end, and abstinence from purging through exercise, which is also a big part of my story. I don't tend to um, identify as a bulimic because even though I envied people that could throw up, I could never do it. But I did find um, hours and hours of exercise as a way to try to, uh, try to control my body after a binge. So um, a little bit about what it was like. Um, I think I... I know that prior to recovery, I just pretty much lived in fear all the time. I was scared all the time. And uh, the way that I tended to deal with that fear in different ways was, you know, having some kind of imagined fantasy life that when X, Y, or Z happens, I will be happy. So I would hang on to that. And, um, and as a little girl, it was, you know, it was one thing. And then as I got older, it had to do more with cash and prizes and I'll show everybody when I'm, you know, at the top of my field and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but the fear and the anxiety and the, the, the part of me that didn't want to be controlled, you know, started coming out in my food from, I mean, I was born a compulsive overeater. There's pictures of me as a kid with multiple bottles in my mouth. And, and I remember it was always about the food, no matter where I was, no matter what family event, no matter what sleepover, no matter what graduation, it was always about um, where's the food and, and how much can I have, but that person's only having that much. So gosh, why can't I stop? Why can't I have what they have? Like, why can't I stop when they stop? Why do I want to eat theirs? Why do I want to sneak into the kitchen after Thanksgiving and pick everybody's dessert off the plate? So I was, I was baffled by it. The cunning, baffling, powerful nature of my obsession did not elude me. I was very aware that I was different with food. Then not everybody in my family, it certainly runs through one lineage of my family, but on the other side, it really doesn't. And that's where we tended to do, you know, more of our family gatherings. So I knew I was different. And I knew that um, the nature of my obsession terrified me. I was terrified of being called out for being different because, that was one of my fears. I just wanted to fit in and I just wanted to be like everyone else. 
and also my fear of being unlovable because my body would get too big. And, um, and my mom, uh, I don't want to go too much into that story, but there, there was definitely a lot of emphasis on being small. So um, by the time I was 10, 11, I was starting to exercise for a couple hours a day. I was starting to read calorie counting diets. And, um, you know, my oldest child is, turns nine this month, a girl. And um, the fact that I was just a little bit older than she was when I started doing all that really gives me some perspective and compassion for myself, you know, and I know we, we can, uh, many of us can probably relate to that. And then um, that's, that just went, you know, as, as I got into my teens and into high school, um, the, the, the controlling part of my disease, the undereating, the overexercising, just became my favorite, my my go-to to feel like I was in control for a life that felt so out of control and not out of control for any unusual or extreme circumstances. Like really, I had you know sort of normal or I guess sort of garden variety childhood pain. You know, I didn't have a perfect childhood, but I didn't have an awful childhood. But it, I so. I just felt like I didn't know how to do this life and everybody knew how to do this life. And it scared me so much. And all I wanted was for someone else to tell me what to do. Like, how should I dress? What, you know, where should I go? Where should I live? Like all of it. And because nobody would tell me because it's not anybody's job. Um, but I didn't trust my own self. I just found such a refuge in, uh, in starving and exercising and feeling like, well, I, like I can control this. And then the beast would come back out and I would binge some more and then I'd control it some more. So that's in a nutshell what I did for, from the time I was 10 until the time I was 19-ish. And I'm lucky I found this program early. I was in college when I found it. Um, and you know, I think what happened is throughout my life, despite all the, you know, everything I just described, there were moments in my life where I would feel at peace. And those moments, those fleeting moments were when I felt what I only, the presence of what I only know to call God. I call my higher power God. And there would be these moments throughout my life. And I still remember them. Random moments, like driving over a particular bridge in the city we used to live, or floating in the ocean when I was on vacation with a friend when I would feel this deep, deep peace come over me. And I did have a language for God growing up. I didn't have a very intimate or personal or vulnerable relationship at all. But when I had those moments, I got a glimpse of what was possible. So when here I am in college and I was deep into the restricting part of my disease and um, uh, my roommate actually uh, had checked out a couple of OA meetings with her story entirely different from mine. But she suggested I come with her. And truthfully, you know, I, t I told you, I always wanted someone to tell me what to do. And at that point, I was starting to get really tired of this, of how much energy it took to keep up with my disease. I was just getting tired. I was tired of hiding the fact that I was eating all of her food. I was tired of all the effort it took to then, you know, do the things that I thought would keep my body, <clears throat> excuse me, a particular size. I was dating somebody and I thought, oh God, like, how am I going to, how am I going to manage this when I'm spending all this time with this other person? So when she suggested this, there was just, you know, it talks in our literature about just that crack of willingness. And for whatever reason, by the grace of my higher power, I was willing to go to a meeting. And then the wonderful thing about the meeting that she took me to is there were a lot of young women that I thought seemed really cool. 
Like, and all I ever wanted was to be part of the cool club. So here were a bunch of young women that talked about what they did with food and how their lives had changed. And I thought like, well, I want, I want to be part of that. Like this, this feels like this, I want, I want to be a member of their club. And, um, and because of that, I was willing to come back. So I humbly admit that my, my, my initial reasons for coming back to OA were because I, I just wanted to fit in with some girls I thought were cooler than me. But you know what? That's what it took, and that got me to come back. And, um, and I, I will say the one thing I've done perfectly in this program for 25 years is I have never left. But that first year in my recovery, I really didn't work the steps. I, I, I would find a sponsor, sort of, but I picked a sponsor who was pretty unavailable not coincidence. And, um, and I, I went to meetings and I got on the phone, but I didn't work the steps. And so about a year, almost my, my OA birthday is very close to my natal birthday. Um, both are coming up in the next month. And <clears throat> so on my natal birthday of almost being in, in recovery for a year, um, I binged harder than I'd binged. You know, I couldn't remember a time that I binged that enormously to the point where I threw up and I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a bulimic that vomits. So I, I binged to the point that I made myself sick. And, um, and I, I, you know, again, it's like that story in the big book. Like I felt like I tumbled to my knees and just asked for help because it was so, and I was still dating that person. You know, I'd had dinner with that person that I told you I was dating and then ended up afterwards just doing this thing. And so like the shame and the, the fear that this was only going to get worse. So, um, so I crawled on my, on my uh, metaphorical knees to a back to a meeting. Um, and I went to a different meeting. I, I still went to the meetings that I loved, but I thought, well, let me go, you know, let me see if I can find a sponsor that's super available. So I went to some different meetings. I started working with someone who got me into the steps. And, and it was when I started working the steps that I was able to begin and maintain long-term abstinence, which now um, on August 1st uh, will be 24 years. So it's 20, you know, 23 plus at this point. And um, thank you. <laughs> and, um, so what happened in that year of working the steps um, is, uh, is, is the same thing that happens now. I find that, you know, my recovery is not fancy at all. My recovery is I keep, I keep, doing what's laid out in the steps. I keep using the tools and I just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I keep uncovering more and more and more and more that I get to give to God. And, um, you know, my character defects, the ones that I did in my first step six and seven are pretty much still the ones that come up when I need, when I'm formally working the steps. And because of the way I've gotten into another program when I'm formally working the steps in that program, but my current sponsor in OA, and I've had different sponsors over the years. This woman I've been working with for, you hear one of my kids yelling, <laughs> quiet. Um, I've been working for about seven and a half years and we've gone through the steps formally, but right now it's like if something comes up, I'll do a, you know, a mini fourth step or a mini sixth and seventh step, or, you know, we'll go read a particular step and write on it. And I'm still just bumping up against my perfectionism and my, my desire to, my desire to control other people, my perfectionism and my impatience. Like those are probably, those are the, the biggest ones for me. Of course, there's plenty of others that, that come up, but they tend to lead back to these. So, um, 
And what I've really come to know about those defects of character is that, um, and recognize when they happen, is that, you know, my disease is a disease of not enough. I am not enough. I do not have enough. I do not do enough. And I say it in that order because in here I learned that slogan of, I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. And for years I'd be like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, but I didn't feel it. And now when, when my, my disease and my defects of character so deeply want me to believe that, they want me to believe that nothing in my life is working. They want me to believe that I haven't picked right. You know, my husband's not right. Our house isn't right. My career isn't right. My body's not right. My relationship with God isn't right. Like nothing's right. So that I have to get back in there and get really into my self-will and try to fix it all, which ultimately will end up A, with me miserable, and B, I'll end up back in the food. I'll end up either deciding that being, you know, X number of pounds skinnier, and I don't own a scale. So if I say X number of pounds, it's really some imaginary number in my head that I imagine one day I would get to if I tried to make myself smaller, or that I'm totally justified in, you know, going into the freezer in the garage and digging out of the, st the stuff in the back and just going for it. And I will say to that note that we do have a garage fridge and there is, because I have four children and there, there is stuff in there that's been in there since Christmas, I think. Like there's ice cream in there that's been in there since Christmas. And I don't, the only reason I even know it in there is because we're down in San Diego for the month of July. So I was, you know, loading up a cooler of some things to take down. It's like, oh my gosh, that's in there. There is no way I could have had items like that in my home and A, not known they were there and B, not have been on this plan to, okay, I can have this much this day. I'm not gonna have any this day, but then I'm gonna just go for it and have it all that day. Like, I, you know, someone not in these rooms might not understand the miracle and the grace of God that it is that I can live around any kind of food and not pay it much attention, much to not any. Um, which is not to say the food obsession doesn't come back because it absolutely does or the body obsession doesn't come back. Yesterday, I had a day where I was putting on a bathing suit and I had these thoughts of like, my body's not good enough. My, my legs aren't good enough. Blah, blah, blah's not good enough. And so I am, you know, I've learned in here, I really am powerless over that first thought. But the, the difference is I put my bathing suit on anyway. I went to the beach with my kids anyway. And an hour and a half later, I was walking around thinking like, I feel, I feel really good. Absolutely, obviously nothing on the outside could have changed, but by saying, you know, when I have those thoughts, I ask for God to relieve my self-obsession. I say a quick prayer. I say the serenity prayer. I ask to be relieved of the bondage of self, and I always ask, like, please, God, show me how to be of love and service, because if I can get out of my own way and I can focus on someone other than myself, there is room for my higher power to come in. And I want to circle back. I know I started talking about my defects and how they so want me to live in this, um, you know, in this negativity. And I'm so, I do not know what my higher power has planned for me. I really, really don't. And I'm getting into a little bit more about what it's like right now. Cause, um, Oh, I want to say too, I have this fear that I'm not going to hear the timer. So if for some reason I don't hear it, please just like make sure I acknowledge it because that, okay, thank you. Cause I, um, I feel so ashamed when I don't hear a timer and I talk over it. So um, thank you for that. But um, right now, you know, a kind of a current topic where I've got to really lean in my higher power is um, my husband, we've lived in, we live in Los Angeles. We've lived in Los Angeles. Well, I, I went to college in Los Angeles. So I've, I've been in Los Angeles longer than I haven't been, just like I've been in recovery longer than I haven't been, which is amazing. I've been in recovery for more than half my life. 
but we've been talking about for the last couple of years is this where we want to stay is this the is is this the the best place for us as individuals and for our family our kids range in age from five months to almost nine years and um, we have two boys and two girls and um, with something about you know this this state of the world that we've been living in it's become very clear to us that some of the reasons why we felt like well we have to stay here because are actually totally made up and we love where we live and we very well could end up staying there but we also very well may not and um and i say that only because i have it's so i so i still fear that I, I can get into fear about the big changes and when I start to feel a, a, a little nudge on the inside that there might be a big change to happen, whether it's, you know, back with my husband and I've been together for almost 17 years, but, but prior to that, like if it was, I'm gonna leave a relationship or I was gonna say no to a job that on paper looked amazing or say yes to a job that felt like, how would I do it? Um, or in this case, like, might we relocate? Um, I get so, I can get so tunnel visioned on my ideas of what I think my life is supposed to look like. You know, it could be like what my body, for years, it was just what my body is supposed to look like. And I'm telling you, if I, when I came into this program, you know, I, if I had known that I could eat, love it, I, I love what I eat, I love what I eat, I love food, I get to enjoy food with people, I get to eat all kinds of stuff that I never used to think was possible for me, and I'm kind of the same size. Like, I, I never would have imagined that God could come in and help me with that. So it's taught me that <clears throat> I do not know God's plan for me, but it's always better than mine. <clears throat> That's the thing. It's always better than mine. So I'm having, I, I just the way my defects want to take me into the negative. I, I do not know. I can't define my higher power. I pray and meditate every day. I do a lot of journaling. I feel such tremendous love from this source and it's indefinable, but I do believe that um, that my higher power wants wants me to move into circumstances that help me put love into the world. And I can come up with all kinds of grand ideas about, well, I think it should look like this, and I think it should reach this group of people or this number of people. And it might be, I'm just home with my four kids 24-7 for the last um, several months. But all that to say, there's a lot of fear coming up for me around if we relocate because my there are certain things in, in LA specifically tied to my work that are kind of central here. And if I leave them, it feels like <gasps> everyone's going to think I turned my back. Everyone's going to think I... I gave up. Every, everyone's going to think. That's my classic phrase. Everyone's going to think. And if I make decisions, whether it's about my food, whether it's about where I live, whether it's about my work, whether it's about who I decide to set up a life with or how I parent my children, if, my, if the first two words of a sentence are everyone's going to think, um, there's, there's, just, there's, no, there's no chance for joy and there's no chance for me to be authentic. And I do believe that my higher power wants me to be to be on my path, not in anybody else's. And the only way I can do that is by staying abstinent. Because when I start messing with the food and I start messing with my body and I start, it starts there. That's, and the minute I start pretending that I know what's best for me, um, it, it radiates into absolutely everywhere of my life. And then I'm, I'm paralyzed. 
I'm coming only from fear. I start to shut down. I start to push people I love away. I start to get angry with my children. I start to shut my husband out. Thank you. Five more? Oh, done. Done. Great. Okay. So I'll wrap it up there. Um, I cannot wait to hear all of you. I'm so deeply grateful for this program. It has given me my life. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melanie. Okay, before our second speaker, we will have OA announcements. Please welcome our special events chair, Rashad. Hi, can I be heard, Susan? All right, spirit fingers for Melanie. Um, all right, let me get my stuff together here. Hold on. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Happy uh, Independence Day. Um, First of all, let me say a big thank you to our technical co-host, the brains behind this operation, Katie, Spirit Fingers. Um, thank you as always to our lovely leader, uh, Susan, who is our guide for the day, who really keeps this, uh, this event running and so many others. Um, a couple of important uh, updates and Katie might put them in the chat, uh, but we have a couple of upcoming events. We have a relapse workshop on Saturday, July 11th at 12 noon Pacific. Excuse me, the uh, Zoom information will be in the uh, chat as well as on our oalaig.org website. In addition to that, we have a body image workshop, I think maybe part two, body image uh, workshop part two, on uh, Saturday, July 18th at 2 p.m. Um, the Zoom info will be in the chat, um, but that one is actually gonna be hosted by the San Fernando Valley, uh, I believe. So you might wanna visit uh, oasfvalley.org for that information. And then we're gonna have our Region 2 convention on July 10th uh, through 12th. And um, the where to get that information will be in the chat as well. And if uh, People are not familiar with what Region 2 is. It's all of our uh, kind of West Coast and Pacific Island uh, intergroups all bundled together in one region. Um, so I think I got all of the announcements correct. Uh, uh, Katie, feel free to, to hi uh, chime in if I missed any. Um, real quickly, I just want to acknowledge all of the, uh, the OA LA uh, intergroup board members. We talk about them a lot and there's a lot of people doing a lot of things behind the scenes, but just want to take a moment. We typically would just ask them to stand, but they're not, uh, we're not in the parks. I can't just ask them to stand. So if, uh, if the chair would just unmute himself and uh, say your name and, and what you do for the board. Uh, hi, Jeff Compulsive Overeater, 100 Pounder, and I am honored to serve as your chair. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate your leadership at this time. Uh, Vice Chair. Hi, everybody. My name is Arlene. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, I recently became Vice Chair. Prior to that, I've been handling the workshops for the intergroup for the past several months. So thanks, Arlene. Was, uh, thanks, Arlene. Arlene was responsible for our last body image workshop, along with some help from other folks. Uh, Secretary? Hi, Kathy, compulsive overeater and your secretary. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Uh, let's see, Treasurer. Hi there, my name is Louise. I'm a compulsive overeater and I am happy to be your treasurer and happy to be of service. Thank you, Louise. Thank you. Thank you. Communications. 
Hi, Katie, compulsive reader. Um, I'm your communications chair for the LA Intergroup. Thank you guys so much. And it's a pleasure to be of service. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Katie has also taken on so much more than what our communications role normally uh, entails. So um, everybody that's super grateful for this Zoom environment at all of your local meetings, uh, Katie is, is uh, really the kind of brains behind that whole operation, along with some help from others. Public outreach, young persons. Hi, I'm Candace. I'm doing public outreach. I just got this position. So thanks for letting me be of service. Thanks, Candace, one of our newest members to the board. Thank you for uh, stepping up to be of service. Um, uh, retreat. Oh, wait, wait, we're missing. We're missing yeah, one. Sheila, Sheila said um, that her audio isn't working, but um, Sheila is our retreat chair and she said that she's very grateful to be of service. And many of you guys know Sheila J. Morley, I'm not sure what, what position you're in now, but Morley, if you're there, uh, unmute yourself so we can see you. Go on once, go on twice. All right, well, Morley uh, B is one of our members of the board. He currently rotated off of public outreach and I'm not exactly sure what role he's gonna assume. Um, I think he's gonna take over workshops. Okay, all right, awesome, thank you for that. Uh, our representative, our R2 and World Services rep. Hi, I'm Diana. I'm a compulsive overeater. Good to be here. Hi, Diana. <clears throat> Diana's also stepped up big time to help out with this Zoom environment, so uh, big kudos to her. Um, I'm your special events chair. My name is Rashad. You've probably seen me around. Uh, and then I think that's everyone. A uh, special shout out to our office manager in, uh, for the OALA intergroup, um, Janet, who's really <laughs> doing so much. So Janet, if you're here, uh, show yourself, say hi, so we can acknowledge everything that you do. Hi, I'm Janet Z. I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater and your office manager through these weird times. <laughs> Grateful to be of service. Thank you, Janet. And um, a, a special, uh, a, our birthday party chairperson who you may recognize, say hello. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Hi, I'm Susan Compulsive Overeater and we're looking forward to hosting you this year. It might be different to how it's looked in years past, but we're hoping it will be a lot more inclusive and many of you will be able to attend who normally can't. There will be more information in the next couple of weeks. Awesome, thank you. So thank you to everybody uh, for showing up today. I just wanted to take a moment to uh, introduce all of our board members. Uh, and our people that give service at the intergroup level, we're not, we're not special people. We just are people that have stepped up to give service, different diversities, different forms of the disease. Um, it's a really great opportunity to be of service. Several of the board positions are going to come up at the end of the year. So if you're out there in the crowd, you have some abstinence, you're working the steps, you have a sponsor in this program, and you regularly attend meetings in the LA area, we really encourage you to be involved at the delegate level or at the intergroup level. And um, it's, it's really been a, a gift to me. Uh, to be of service. So with that being said, I think that's all the announcements. Thank you guys for the time and back to Susan. Thank you, Rashad, so much. Our second speaker today is Lewis. Hi, guys. My name's Lewis. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, thank you, Rashad, for asking me to be here, uh, especially because we're doing it, you know, via Zoom and I'm not sweating a puddle uh, at the park in real life. Also, I was told this was gonna be a speed dating event, so we'll talk about that later, Rashad, it's fine. 
I understand. Uh, thank you, Katie, for helping me with the tech stuff. I, I, yeah, I get so like blah. Um, and and Susan, as always, it's it's pretty funny to have uh, someone from uh, the UK on the Fourth of July, leading our event, which I kind of love. Um, so I'm, I'm I love seeing familiar faces here. I, I I even love more that there's a lot of faces that I don't know. Um, just to get some stats out of the way, mainly because I always forget. I have four years, uh, two months of continuous abstinence. Um, I uh, today uh, have joy in my life. I don't hate myself today. Um, and coming into anything, I am skeptical, right? I, I come in predisposed to, to question and I love proof, right? So I brought proof. Uh, Katie, if you could just throw up my, my pictures, please. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted you guys to see my photos. And because the great thing about doing it over Zoom is that there's, you know, when you're in a meeting, you can pass the pictures around. You're like, oh, this is nice. You know, you check your phone again and you pass it along. But here it's right in front of your face. And here's me at my highest weight, 380 plus pounds. I put 380 because that's what the scale said the last time I got on it, right? Because once you see 380, whatever, I'm like, I'm not getting back on this thing ever again. And of course, if you don't get on the scale, you don't gain weight. Um, I was eating myself to death here and I was drinking heavily. And if we can go to the next one, uh, you know, I'd lost some weight, I'd stopped drinking, but I was still very unhappy and still morbidly obese. I, there was not a moment where I didn't use food to, to numb myself and to steal myself from any, any sort of thing. Now, uh, this next photo I'm gonna show you is great proof as to you can lose the weight today right this second, right? Or gain it or whatever you need, whatever you think you need to do. It could be fixed, you know, at the snap of a finger. And I did that, I, you know, my lowest weight, 175 pounds, I did it through excessive exercise. You know, I could sit there and tell you how long I had to be on the treadmill to work off a of Costco pizza. You know, I could sit there and, and did the math and, you know, through sheer will lost the weight, but, I've been playing whack-a-mole with alcohol, exercise, food. And when I stopped one thing, I just picked up another. What I didn't have was a spiritual solution, right? I didn't have a higher power that I trusted 100%. So what that led me to was this next photo. Two years before I came into program, 320 pounds, probably a little more. And again, there's just no happiness, there's no joy behind those eyes, in, behind the eyes of any of those photos. Um, so this is maybe, yeah, two years before I walked into the rooms, desperate and broken. And um, the next photo is me today, because I figure I, you know, I can't stand up here. So obviously I still don't like to wear pants, but this is from my birthday uh, in April, my natal birthday. And here there's, this person takes care of himself. He takes care of others. He's willing to be taken care of by others. You know, there's joy in this person's life. And, you know, this person has worked the steps. Uh, so we can get rid of those. Flag you so much. Um, let me tell you what it was like. Before program, there was not a moment, a single second where I didn't think about how I looked to you, to anyone. You know, there's, there's not a moment where I didn't fidget and try to look thinner or wondering what you thought of me and how I looked. There's not a moment that I didn't future worry. There wasn't a moment that I was, that I was not afraid, right? 
I was a fear-based engine. I was afraid of things going wrong. I was, I was afraid of things going terribly wrong. I was afraid of success, you know, even good things I was afraid of. And that brought me um, to a place where I had lost my marriage. I had moved to an entirely new city. I'm originally from Chicago. I'm here in Sherman Oaks, California now. It brought me to a new city. I'd lost my marriage. You know, I didn't have the job I had before. I wasn't making as much money. And all I wanted to do four years and five, six months ago was kill myself. It was New Year's Eve and I was sitting in my apartment alone in the dark and I'd taken, you know, the, the, the fake Instagram photo, you know, of the fake fireplace that Netflix has. Uh, yeah, quiet night at home, everyone, you know, and uh, sat there and, and put hope everyone has a safe night. All the while ignoring texts and calls from people and thinking to myself that I was unloved and that no one wanted to talk to me and that, you know, I, scrolling through my phone, desperately wanting to find the strength to hit send on someone's name. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And I kept thinking to myself, I can't keep going this way. I don't want to live if this is how it is. I'd already spent the two, two, three years before that excluding myself from everyone. I was in a new city. It was so easy to cut my family out, to cut lifelong friends out of my life. And with the divorce, you know, I, I let her have all the, you know, couple friends. I didn't need them, right? I could do this on my own. Something in the back of my head somewhere, some voice said, you need help, get help. But I didn't know about this, right? I didn't know about the spiritual solution yet. So I did what I did before. I went to see a therapist, go to the therapist. It took maybe two sessions with the therapist to say, for her to say, Lewis, you're an addict. You're an addict with food. And it was, and I've said this before, I'm sorry you heard it, but it, it was a literal punch to the chest is what it felt like. Just right here. Because I never heard it said out loud before. I never heard how I felt and the actions I'd taken described out loud. I was an addict with food. She asked me if I'd heard of uh, Overeaters Anonymous. I said, nope. She said, you willing to go to a meeting? Nope. Because when I walked in there, I said, look, I don't want to do the group stuff. You know, we take care of this in-house, one-on-one. I pay you, you fix me, and we're good to go. Doesn't work that way. Life had to beat me up a little longer. So I a few more weeks passed, and I was willing, finally, to call the office. Call the office. I wish I could remember who answered the phone. They're like, Lewis, this is great. There's a meeting that's five minutes from your house. Oh, awesome. There's a lot of dudes there. Oh, cool. All right, I guess. And, and, and then the person, I go, what time is it at? They're like, oh, no, when's it at? Sunday. Great. What time is it at? 7.30 in the morning. Thanks so much for your help. And I hung up the phone. Life had to beat me up a little more. Finally, when I was desperate, broken, and in a point where I just, I just, I was just tired of fucking fighting. It's just tired of fighting. And I walked into that room afraid and I walked in and I saw God is love right at the front, big giant letters in the room. And all of a sudden I'm just like, this ain't the place for me. 
I had grown up with some medical issues. I, not a lot of you know, or some of you know, I, I've had two, two kidney transplants in my life. I was born with a bunch of medical issues. And because of that, I sat there and had resentment towards God my entire life. There, I, I used to think that I was alive despite God, not because of and when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm getting out of here as soon as this is over. I sat down, sat way in the back. And there was a, a young blonde lady sitting at the, the speaker chair. And she said, hi, my name's so-and-so. And I'm an anorexic. And I'm thinking, ah, this is the opposite problem of what I have. I'm wasting my time. But as soon as she started talking, right? As soon as she started to share her story, it was mine. Her story was mine. The insanity was the same as mine, right? The willfulness, the ego was mine, all of it. And I spent that entire hour bawling my eyes out in the back of that room and thinking to myself, crap, I belong here. I desperately wanted not to. I don't want to be here, but this has saved my life. Actually, um, you know, during the meeting, I saw everyone hugging and stuff, and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do this. The meeting ended. My, my first thought was to make a beeline for my car and get out of there. And Jeff, you know, the chair for the intergroup walked up to me and said, hey, you know, there's a couple guys who get together and, uh, you know, if you want to come, you can go, you know, if you're up for it. And man, those were the longest 15 minutes of my life. I did not want to go. But I went, something in the back of my mind told me to go. And I went and these guys were talking a foreign language, the same foreign language I'd heard at the meeting, resentment, surrender, compassion, God, all these, all steps, all these things. I didn't understand it, right? But what a beautiful thing this is where I could tell these people the thing that I did with food. And I just saw nods. I could tell you all my stupid drunk stories. That's fine. But to sit there and say out loud the disturbing things that I had done with food was incredibly scary. And what relief to sit there and have these guys at this table, maybe 20, nod their heads and go, yeah. No, 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 you don't understand. It was frozen and I would pick it out and just eat it because I couldn't wait. Well, yeah. No, 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 I had thrown it out and picked it out again to eat it. Well, yeah, why wouldn't you? And uh, I realized that, you know, to learn this foreign language, I had to be, you know, willing to listen. Not good at that. You know, my job is all having ideas and, and running the show, you know? So I thought that's the way life worked. But I had to learn that it didn't. You know, in, um, they were talking about steps and sponsorship and all this. Someone took my hand and showed me how to do this, right? You know, there's always that sort of magic thing, magic thing or whatever that we're always looking for. And it's here. This is it's in chapter five of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? 
here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. And what I love about it, it says, it, it very deliberately says the steps we took, right? Not the steps I studied, you know, not the steps I, you know, learned about or talked about, you know, these are the steps we took. And on my own, I can't do this. Without help, it is too much for us. Lack of power is my dilemma, guys. Lack of control is my dilemma. I have zero control. I can't control the guy that's driving in front of me too slow. I can't control the you know lady across the street who yells at her husband. Can't control that. Can't control any of it. The more I have surrendered in this program, the more freedom I've received. There's your 4th of July tie-in. And every day, every day I get a daily reprieve, right? What does that mean? Every day I wake up a compulsive overeater all over again, right? I got to lead a meeting the other day. Doing that does not keep me abstinent today. It does not keep me sober with food today. Helping with the birthday party last year, which is a great event you should go, does not keep me absent today, right? Doing chips four years ago at a meeting does not keep me absent today. This today does. You guys here today, I, I can't even see how many people are here, right? but you know, we're all in this lifeboat today. And I love scrolling through the, the, the pages sometimes and we're by ourselves, right? We're by ourselves in our homes and everything, but we're not alone. We're not alone. And that was one of the best gifts that I received from this program. Yeah, the way, whatever, you know, I, I, I you know, from the 320 that I walked in, five minutes, you know, from the 320, you know, that I walked in, you know, I'm down to 205 pounds right now. That's whatever. Today, I have peace of mind. Today, in the morning, I get to practice surrender. I get to practice compassion. I get to practice humility. I get to work the steps. It's not a one and done. I continuously work the steps. For some reason, I don't know how they do it, they keep shoving new words into this book. And I find something new every time. And the reason I say I get to practice these things is because, look, I'm not a monk, I'm not walking on water, I'm not living in some mountaintop, some guru. Life still happens. I practice these things because they're not reflexes for me. They're muscles that I have to flex. Compassion is not my default, right? My default is being picky and talking smack and picking apart why you're bad and I'm you know, better or I'm the victim. Every day I get to practice surrender. I have a sponsor, I'm willing to be sponsored. I'm willing to take direction and I'm willing to take the action. I practice real time, rigorous honesty. And what does that mean, right? You know, I can be honest, right? And sometimes it's easy for me to be honest like after I did the thing, right? Sometimes it's easier for me to, you know, wait to the end of the day. I can't afford to do that. 
I need to do it in real time. As soon as that wackadoodle thought pops into my head, I need to let it out. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. And that means telling it to God and to another human being. I get to practice these principles in all my affairs today. It's made me a better brother. It's made me a better employee. It's made me a better manager. It's made me a better friend. Does that mean, right? Like the world hasn't changed. My father is not all of a sudden dad of the year, right? <laughs> that doesn't mean that. It just means that I'm at peace today that he's doing the best he can with what he has. He doesn't have program, we do. So, you know, I, I work this program and I gotta say it, like my life depends on it because it does. I'm gonna tell you a quick story real quick. This is a killing disease. This will kill you. There was a man, a few fellows, and I would see in a hospital, uh, he was 600 pounds plus easy. He hadn't stood on his own two feet for maybe two, two years when we started seeing him. And I sat there and I realized that, oh my God, I didn't sit there and look at him and go, oh, this poor guy, oh, this, you know. Of course, I'm thinking about me and I think, holy crap, I was more than halfway to that. I very much have it in me to be the guy ranting and raving in a bed, not wearing clothes because they don't fit and thinking I can rule the world from that bed. I have that in me. Last year, another fellow died in this program. And the messed up part is this disease wants me to forget, right? When that first guy passed away, this is messed up. I forgot about him. I saw that man for almost a year and I forgot about him till the second guy died. I have to remember what it was like. I have to keep this spiritual fitness going. That's my only defense. Right now, the third step prayer is my hotline to my higher power. And the only thing that keeps me disconnected from my higher power is me, right? those resentments that tangle me up and kill me. Um, I love the analogy and I've used this before. I'm, do, am I almost out of time? Do I have like a minute? 28 seconds and counting. Make this quick. If you're struggling today, I'll, if you want to hear the story, you can text me, I'll share my number. Uh, you know, if you're struggling today, take someone's hand, right? Ask them to walk you through the steps. If you're struggling today, pick up the big book, read a page. If you don't see yourself in that page, read another one. You don't have to do any of this alone. We're all here for you and I'm, we're all willing to help. So I'm glad you're here. Thanks everyone. Thank you, Lewis, and we're glad you're here. Okay, we will now observe the seventh tradition. The LA Intergroup asks, suggests, I said asks, suggests that you continue to contribute as we still have operating expenses, including rent for the OA office and the subscription costs of this Zoom service. Katie will post in the chat the link to our PayPal account. Any amount is accepted and appreciated. 
If you are joining us from outside of the Los Angeles area, we encourage you to donate to the intergroup that supports your local fellowship. Following the seventh tradition, we will hear from our remaining speaker. Francis, if you could please unmute yourself and read the 12 traditions for us this morning. Hi, Francis, compulsive leader. The 12 traditions are common welfare to come first. Personal recovery depends upon only unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God is who may express himself in our true conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting and declining outside uh, contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personnel. Thank you. Thank you, Francis. Okay, please welcome to our virtual stage, our final speaker this morning, Nancy D. Hi everybody, my name is Nancy D. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder. Can you hear me? Good. So, um, what it was like, what happened, and what it was like now, what it's like now. Um, I'm nervous, that's what it's like right now. <laughs> I've been in the rooms for quite a while. I came in in the late 80s. When I came in, um, I think Dallas was still on TV and people had big bouffant hair. And, um, and there wasn't as much OA literature then. So I was raised on the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the AA 12 and 12 because the OA 12 and 12 hadn't been written and I, I laugh when I think that I when I came in I didn't know that I'd still be here all these years later and I'm delighted to be here and, and again nervous right now so what it was like I was so inspired by the speakers that I've heard so far so inspired by Melanie and Lewis and they were talking about I felt like they were they were already telling my story when I came in I didn't know I was afraid because I ate all the time, so I didn't feel feelings. So I came in, I was over 300 pounds. I was, I don't know exactly what I weighed because like Lewis, I stopped weighing. I know it started with a three. I don't know, 314, three and a quarter, I don't know. Um, I know that I was thinking about what it was like. And one of the, one of the ways, one of the things it was like is that I, I had to buy my clothes in a large Lane Bryant, large clothes only store. And one of the last times, one of the times I was shopping and I was wearing at that point, probably a size 24. 
and I looked to the right to the sizes that were available to me, and there were only maybe six, eight inches of clothing available that I could for any price have purchased. And I thought, oh no, what will I do? But I had the good fortune of being friends with somebody who was recovering in AA, and he became my Eskimo. And we'd talk, I knew that I was just like he was about alcohol, I was about food, I was about muffins. And I would, <laughs> I, I, think, I thought of myself as an honest person, but if it came to food, I mean, I wouldn't take your money, but I would steal your food. I'd steal your muffins. Don't leave your cookies. Don't leave your desserts behind. I, 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 I took it. I, I have to say that's what it was like for me. So I came in and I was, I was thinking that I was bad and wrong and stupid because I didn't look like other people. I, I, I weighed as much as I did. And I, what happened really was the food stopped working. But I had these br brilliant ideas about what I should do with food. Like, for example, when I knew that I was, I was too heavy and I wanted to lose weight. And so what I did to cut back is I stopped eating regular food and had only desserts. That's the kind of thinking that I had. So I wanted to cut back. So instead of having breakfast, I would have dessert in the morning. I'd have dessert for lunch. I'd have dessert in the afternoon, dessert in the evening. And that's what I did to try to lose weight. Not so much to lose weight, but to keep from gaining weight. So um, how I knew that I was different than other people is because I told you again that the food stopped working. And when the food stopped working, I remember one night, this was probably the binge that was all binges for me. And that was, I didn't feel good that night. I don't mean I was physically ill, but I didn't, I didn't feel good emotionally. And I wanted to feel better. And so I made myself, this is what I did often, I made myself an entire recipe of chocolate chip cookies off the back of the oatmeal, Quaker, Quaker Oats oatmeal box. I knew the recipe by heart. I didn't have to look it up at all. I made the whole recipe. I sat there on the floor with a pan of warm cookies. I ate the whole thing. I got the awe, oh, that's what I was going for. But I didn't feel any better. And so that night, right after I ate the cookies from scratch, I made a cheesecake from scratch that night after the cookies and ate the whole thing myself the whole thing. And I didn't feel any better. And so what did I do? And that night, after the cookies and after the cheesecake, I made the recipe on the back of the marshmallow cream jar, fantasy fudge. I think it's a pound and a half of fudge. I don't know if it's a pound and a half or two and a half pounds of fudge. And ate the whole thing myself after having eaten those other foods that I was sick as a dog. And I didn't feel any better. And I felt betrayed. I had sunk to these levels. I'd done this shameful thing with food and I didn't feel any better and I didn't know what to do. But I was talking to my friend who was recovering in AA and we were friends and I'd been talking to him for years and I saw him change. And, and I had, in those days, in the late 80s, TV used to go off at night. It didn't run 24 hours a day. And so there were late at night public service announcements and a couple of times over the years, I'd seen public service announcements for Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I had heard of it. And so I knew you theoretically existed. And up until that point, I was, I had done, I, annually I would do something new to diet. So when it, came, when it came to the end of the year, I was thinking about what I was gonna do next year to, to diet the coming year. And what I really wanted to do with, was issue, I'm sorry, enter a commune 
and fast for 30 days, but I couldn't work that out with vacation time and, and school care and whatnot from work and school for my granddaughter, my daughter. And so what I did instead was join Overeaters Anonymous. And I came into the rooms and you guys were talking right out loud in the same sentence about food and God. And that was like, that, that was a newsflash for me because I believed in God. I, I was raised to believe in God, but I believed in God as a theoretical concept. I didn't believe, I didn't have God working in my daily life at all. And I didn't think, it wasn't that I didn't think I should talk to God, but I didn't think I should talk to God about my food because that was my responsibility. And if I was the right sort of individual, I would take care of that myself. That wasn't something for God. God had big, you know, wars and things to deal with, not Nancy's food. So I didn't, I didn't bring God into my food at all. And you guys were talking right out loud about food and God in the same sentence. And I remember too, that when I first came in, I saw all these things. I didn't realize at the time that they were 12 steps and 12 traditions, but you were reading lots of things with numbers. And um, I didn't understand what you were talking about, but I did hear you say, keep coming back. And while I didn't exactly understand what you were talking about, I could understand, keep coming back. And so that's what I started to do. And I heard, um, I think Lewis was talking about the reason he, you know, one of the reasons he came to meetings for a while. I remember one of the reasons I came to meetings is because the shares were completely entertaining. And I, that's what kept me coming for a while, is just the interesting things I heard from the podium. And um, so I, I came, I kept coming back, and I, but I, I wasn't connected. I, I, when the meeting would end, I didn't, the, the business was holding hands at the ends and they keep coming back. And at those days, it was keep coming back and it stopped right there. You didn't say, you know, it works and work. It, you didn't add on to that. It was keep coming back. And I heard that. But after you dropped hands at the end of the meeting, people would talk to each other in little groups of two and three, and I didn't have a group. And so what I would leave, I would, I would leave right before that part. And then you wanted to hug, it was like, you know, it was much for me. And, um, but I, but, but what also happened was I heard things that I'd never been able to put together in words myself. And sometimes I wanted to leap up from the back of the meeting room to say, that's it, that's it, that's exactly what it is, because you would express something that I'd never been able to put into words myself. And, um, and I began to hear, like, I heard you talking about the steps, I heard you talking about the traditions, I heard you talking about ways to begin to work this program. And one of the things you suggested was that I get a sponsor. And I was afraid of that except I don't know if I mentioned to you already that I didn't realize I was afraid of things because I didn't feel feelings. I was, I was you know, wearing this armor around me and I didn't feel feelings. I didn't know I was afraid, but coming to ask for somebody to help me, coming to ask a sponsor, I knew I was afraid of that. And so somebody suggested that I could write, will you be my sponsor on a piece of paper and I could have it ready. So I wrote, will you be my sponsor? I had it all folded up and I was ready in case I saw somebody that I wanted to ask to be my sponsor and and I was looking and and one day I saw her and I and I was like I wanted to ask her to be my sponsor and I and I, I didn't remember to get the paper out I asked her and she said yes she said yes she would help me and the first thing she asked me to do was the dreaded 30 and 30 that I'd heard people talk about 30 and 30 meaning 30 meetings in 30 days which meant I had to go to a meeting every day and that was the, I didn't want anybody to ask me to do that that was the very first thing she asked me to do 
and I wanted her to be my sponsor, and that was what people did if they were going to work with her, and so I started the 30 and 30, and which meant I had to tell the people in my life that I was going to be doing this. We had a, a young teenager, you know, single parent, young teenager at home. I was going to be going out at night, going to meetings, so I had to let my family know, which was, I didn't want to do that, because all the other diets I tried before, I'd done them for a while, and then they'd say, I thought you weren't supposed to be eating that. I thought you weren't going to, and I didn't want to hear any of that. So I would do these things, but not let anybody know that I was going to do, because I knew that again, I'd fail. I, I, I thought that again, I'd fail. So, but to do 30 and 30, I had to include my family and people in my life in that, but I, I began to do it. And that's when program really started to work for me. I realized now that what my sponsor was having me do was discover program for myself. That program isn't just calling my sponsor. It's calling my sponsor. It's going to meetings. It's working the steps. She introduced me to the steps slowly. She had me first write steps one, two, three, and 11 every night. Just write it down. Go to a meeting. Write down your steps. She said, when you go to the meeting, sit in the front and pay absolute attention to what people are saying. She taught me, taught me to do that. So I did that. And every meeting you go to, write down three phone numbers. Write down three phone numbers and maybe where you saw them, what meeting you got their number from. And, and you don't have to make the call, but when you're ready to make a call or you want to make a call, you'll have the numbers. I said, okay, I can do that. And so that's what I started to do. And I started to hear you. I started to hear about program and I started to hear how to connect with this program. And I heard, I told you that I heard keep coming back first. I got that right off the bat. I knew that prayer and meditation was supposed to be part of program too. And I would hear people talking about prayer, bringing God into it. And I was interested in praying, but I didn't want to do it wrong because I came with this baggage of thinking that I was bad, wrong, and stupid because after all, I'd gotten myself up to over 300 pounds. So I was, I was wrong. Um, but so I didn't want to do it wrong, and so I wasn't I hadn't been praying. And so I heard a guy one time in a meeting. He was sharing about he prayed in the car. On the he prayed in the car, and I thought because before that I was concerned about I wanted to pray, but I didn't want to do it wrong. So I didn't know if I should do this, hold my hands in this way, or I should. Some people would hold their hands up. I heard people talking about praying prone, laying on the floor. I heard you know I didn't want to do it wrong, so I wasn't doing it. But he said he prayed in the car. And I thought, I could do that because then I don't have to worry about what to do with my hands. I'm praying, I got my hands on the steering wheel, praying in the car. <laughs> so I, I, going to work in the morning, I get up on the 10 freeway headed to downtown LA and, I, and I, I, had, I had rules about this prayer. I couldn't pray, I couldn't listen to the radio until I prayed. And so I'd get on the ramp and I'd say, hi God, it's me Nancy. And, and to this day, every time I say, I got as many as I touched because I didn't have a pathway to talking to God until, until I heard a guy one time at a meeting talking about praying in the car. And now I do. And I still think, so I was nervous as all get out about sharing this meeting today. I've been nervous and twisted up for a couple of days about this. I was nervous. And I'm nervous no matter what the size of the meeting is. I shared at a, at a women's meeting a week or so ago, and there were 12 of us, and I was nervous too. I was all twisted up then. So, so I began using tools to get through this nervousness about talking to you today. And so this morning, I wrote a letter to God. Hi, God, it's me, Nancy. And I got that here. And the other thing, I want to talk to you about the things I've gotten here. I got one day at a time. We talk about that 
freedom. We say that all the time, one day at a time. You only have to do it just for today. And I understood that as a concept, one day at a time, but I didn't know how to do that. And what I mean by that is how I got off sugar in the first place years ago. My sponsor said to me, I didn't know how to do it, how to get off sugar. She said, Nance, can you not eat sugar for 10 minutes? And I said, yeah. And she said, so call me back in 10 minutes. And I said, okay, okay. So I hung up the phone. I didn't know what to do with myself. I don't know. I got busy with whatever. And I looked up and 14 minutes had passed. And I called her back. And I said, I, I did it. I, I, for, and she said, can you do it again? I said, yeah. And so I said that to say, to share with you that. You have five minutes left. Oh my gosh, it's been already. Okay. Uh, I, I, that one day at a time, that's, that's, that's how we live. Yes. But that was too big for me. I had to take it in smaller. So I took it 10 minutes at a time to get started. I can't believe I got, I, I was so nervous to get started. And like always happens, I get into it. I am so, I am so grateful for this program that I start talking and I forget about all that. But let me bring you a little bit current. Okay. So um, some of the, the things I've learned here, another, another thing you've taught me to do is you don't got to want to. And what that means is you don't have to want to do the thing, or I don't have to want to do the thing to do the thing. So I can officially not want to do it. I mean, I, sometimes I make a note, I don't want to do this as I begin to do it. So you don't got to want to. I got that here. Act as if. I don't have to, I don't have to necessarily um, feel the best, but I can act as if I feel the best. I got that here. And you guys have gotten me through everything. I've been in program, uh, I've been, uh, I count my abstinence back to April 1987, April 13th, 1987. And that's 33 years. And in 33 years, a lot of stuff in life happens. I've been in for a year, my dad died. I've been in for um, uh, maybe five, six, seven years. 1992, I had a brain aneurysm and I was in a coma for a long time. I wasn't expected to live. I did live. Then I had to recover from that. I had to learn to walk again, to talk again, to drive again, to write again. I mean, it was brutal. The program got me through. When I got home from the hospital with, with brain things in my head and wires, I, I, what's it called, staple in my head, I, um, I didn't know how to do this. And what occurred to me was that I got from you guys, which was one day at a time. You don't, I don't have to have the whole thing figured out. I just have to get through the day. Um, good stuff has happened here too. I, I uh, retired, hired from corporate America, big job corporate America, retired from that, went back to school, and now I'm a card-carrying UCLA Bruin, graduated with honors, because I heard you guys in the rooms, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I heard you guys in the rooms talking about going back to school, and I didn't know that I could go back to school, and one of my fellows said, I said, do you think I can do this? And she said, yes, and, and I said, okay, and so I, I tried it, I took a class, Fast forward, I graduated from school. Um, 2011, my mom passed away. You know, that changes the structure in a person's life. Their mother passes away. And more recently, those of you that know me know that my, my, my daughter died. My, my sweet daughter died. And um, that's a hell of a thing. And you guys walked me through that, literally walked me through that. I didn't know how to do that. You guys walked me through. Jeff offered to, to help move this stuff out of her, her apartment. My granddaughter lives with me now um, to change our lives structurally, physically. Uh, Amy helped get me organized about doing that. My sponsor helped make me 
helped me make a list of all the things I had to do to get through this. Um, you guys helped me every step of the way. And I don't even know what to say about all that. I, I'm saying all that to say that program has been the structure and the backbone of my life. Thank you so much for giving me a way to live, a way to do this. I have no idea where I am in time. I get so wrapped up in it. I just want to say that today I, I, I have spiritual practice. I get up in the morning. I, I, I pray. I meditate. I use the tools. I, I, I was nervous as all heck when I started. I feel pretty, you know, light and, and, and amused now, which is completely different than I was when I started. Susan's smiling at me. I think I'm done. Am I finished, Susan? Now you have a minute and 12 seconds. I have a minute and 12 seconds? Okay. So what can I say? I have a sponsor. She has a sponsor. I sponsor the people I sponsor, sponsor. I use the tools, I work the steps. I love this big book. When I came in, man, I did not relate to this book right off the top because it was written by, hello, white men, 1930s. And I didn't, they didn't look like me. But how I knew I was in the right place was page 37, the jaywalker. You know that story, jaywalker? He's got a thing for, for darting out in front of fast moving vehicles and he gets hit repeatedly. And I thought to myself, this is a ridiculous example. And the big book said, the next sentence said, you might think this is ridiculous, but if we substituted, if I substituted eating sugar, the example fits exactly. That's how I knew I was in the right place, you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> thank you, Nancy, so much. And thank you to all three of our speakers this morning. Um, let me read from my script officially. On behalf of the Los Angeles Intergroup, I would like to thank each of our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope with us this morning.